What's up, everybody? Welcome back to the Tomatolito Show. And uh, one card down uh, so far, or maybe two, I guess we could say, with uh, Teofimo Lopez uh, testing positive to uh, due to COVID uh, earlier this week. His fight with George Cambozos and the entire card, for that matter, the, the entire thriller card, got moved over to August 14th, I believe, is the date that they chose or that they announced. So it's going to be delayed by two months. This was one of the heaviest weekends for boxing this year so far. There was going to be four major cards with one that's uh, grabbing people's attention because of the uh, the exhibition type matches that it's going to be hosting. And that one is going to be in Mexico. Um, that's the one where the one I'm talking about is going to be with uh, Chavez Sr., Julio Cesar Chavez, the legend, the Mexican legend, facing off against one of his former foes. Uh, the son of one of his former foes in, in Hector Camacho Jr. So that's going to be uh, the, the main event for that exhibition card in which they're saying that the, the kings or the legends uh, will meet. Uh, Chavez Jr. is going to be, and he missed weight at that. Go figure, right? Nothing new there. He missed weight, and he's in an exhibition match uh, very similar to a, the trend that we've been seeing as of late as he's going to be facing an MMA star of boxing uh boxer versus an MMA star he's going to be facing the legendary spider Anderson Silva um and then I believe Omar Chavez the brother of, of Chavez Jr. and the son of the legend uh he was going to be uh in a, in a fight as well so that's the exhibition one right the main two the top two are the ones pulling I think Omar Chavez is going to be fighting one of Canelo's brother if I remember correctly I'm not I'm not too positive on that but uh but Whatever. I, the, the main two are the ones that are pulling, uh, pulling some eyes that way towards Mexico. That's supposed to take eyes or, or take place, uh, here in a few hours. Um, the, the Teofimo Lopez, George Cambozos card was the one that was, uh, that was definitely leading the charge for today. Um, that with, with Lopez testing positive for COVID, like I mentioned, that card ended up getting scrapped and moved, not scrapped, but delayed, postponed, I guess, uh, for two months from now. Uh, mid-August. So that leaves us with Jamal Charlo versus Juan Macias Montiel. That's going to be the PBC card tonight. And uh, and the supporting card, they have Francisco El Bandido Vargas making his return. He's going to be facing Isaac Cruz. So that should be a good good supporting card, a uh, good supporting uh, co-main event. And uh, Francisco Vargas is never in a dull fight. Great fight there. Isaac Cruz is a come forward slug, slugger type fighter. So that should be a good supporting card for, for the main event where Jamal Charlo is going to be putting his title on the line, um, against Juan Macias Montiel. And, uh, and the other card, top rank is going to be on ESPN. They got the monster making his return. Naoya Inoue against, uh, Michael Das Marinas. He, Naoya Inoue is looking to defend his title. Das Marinas is, uh, is a come forward. Uh, type fighter. He's he's long. He's rangy. He's he's a, a, a skinny type fighter with rangy arms, and uh, and he often get he he often gets caught in the in the slugfest type fights. He likes to fight on the inside uh, a lot, or a lot, or at least he bait he gets baited in quite often where he tends to drop his guard. And uh, but he is he's got. Long rangy arms, uh, good power behind his punches, and uh, and it's going to be hard for Naoya Inoue to to get in on that reach. But the monster usually figures out his his tasks and uh, and overcomes those obstacles. I see this fight 
uh, going in OS uh, way by stoppage, maybe around the middle rounds. Um, same thing for the Charlo main event. I see him stopping Montiel. Uh, Mo- Charlo, Charlo has their similar reach, similar height. Charlo uses his reach and his height fairly well. Uh, Charlo has a lot more output than that, than what Montiel offers. So I think the jab, the boxing is a little bit better. The speed's definitely in the favor of Charlo, but the boxing's a little bit more refined on the Charlo side than that of Montiel. And that's not saying that Montiel doesn't have good boxing. He does. He just, he delivers, his delivery is always a little bit slower. Um, and definitely it's, it's going to show, uh, against Charlo that he's going to be a step behind the, the, as far as speed is concerned. Uh, he's more of a power puncher. I think for, for him being as much a power puncher as he is, uh, I, I think he's going to be surprised that Charlo also has some good pop behind those punches. I see Charlo cutting them and, and possibly stopping them in the middle rounds. Um, for Naoya Inoue, I see similar. I see Naoya Inoue, uh, being too much, his output being way too much for, for Desmarinas. Desmarinas does pose a threat. I, I think this is going to stop in the later rounds. I think, you know, it's going to be, it's going to be a bloody one. And I think unless Dasmarinas is able to focus and pinpoint that damaged, uh, cheekbone that Naoya Inoue suffered against Nonito Donaire back in 2019, uh, the orbital bone, uh, area of Dasmarinas is able to, to expose that, um, and exploit that, that injury. Then we may see the flow change a little bit, but I think you know is going to come forward. He's going to counter well. His speed's going to be too much for Dasmarinas, and the power is there to back up the flow of attack that that Inoue offers. So I see him doing fairly well. Like I said, Francisco Vargas back in action against Isaac Cruz on the undercard of Jamal Charlo and Montiel. That card's going to be kicking off here in the next hour or so, maybe a couple hours, and then uh, as well as the top rank one should be kicking off maybe about an hour after the. Uh, the PBC card kicks off. So that'll be the top rank. PBC has Charlo and Montiel. Top rank has Inoue with, um, with Dasmarinas. And the supporting card is really interesting. The supporting fight for Inoue is none other than Michaela Mayer making the first defense of her WBO title against a veteran of the sport and a former two division, two time champion, uh, in Erica Farias who's been in there with the best. Her last two fights were two losses um, and back-to-back losses against uh, Jessica McCaskill. Uh, so those are the last two fights that she had in her career, and that's dating back to about 2019. So she's been she's been away from the ring for quite a while, but she's been at it for a while, and that's going to be an intriguing matchup and, uh, and pretty interesting to see Michaela Meyer uh, defend her, her first or, or defend her title for the first time. And then to open up the ESPN card, it's another interesting firework type fight where these two are fast upcoming, fast punchers, up and coming prospects. Uh, Dogbo, uh, Ivan Dogbo actually has been around for, for a little bit longer than Adam Lopez. So it's, it's like the, the prospect against the veteran in this one. Dogbo's not a journeyman, but he is a veteran of the sport, and he's he's right there. He's within a couple fights, one or two fights, maybe three fights away from trying to get back into title contention. So Ivan Dogbo against Adam Lopez uh, should be a fireworks-style uh, fight uh, where it, it, that's that's the right match to kick off. A tele- the televised portion of the, um, of the card for top rank. So good matchmaking on, on that behalf. And, uh, and so with those two, with mentioning Teofimo and Cambozo's not happening tonight, that ended up opening some room for 
some breathing room as far as uh, as far as attention goes, as far as schedule goes, and uh, and, and as far as being able to enjoy the the fights, that Teofimo card falling uh, falling off uh, opened up some room, gave us some leeway here to be able to pay attention to more of the other fights that are available. And the exhibition one that we're mentioning between Chavez Sr. and Camacho Jr. and then Chavez Jr. against Silva, uh, that one is definitely the last one that I'm going to be checking out. The one that's already out of the way is the Jaime Munguia Camille Cerameta. So what happened here? That fight ended already. It was in El Paso at the Don Haskins Center. Um, three good fights that came out of that very good undercard by the way very good undercard entertaining entertaining fights but when we got to see Marlon Sparza uh Marlon Sparza against Ives Zamora Marlon Sparza making her first charge for a major world title and um against Ives Zamora who is a long reigning WBC champ uh everything that I saw in this fight leading up to this fight the fights that I've seen of Ives Zamora in her past they're very similar pace, very similar grueling, hard nose, come forward type, uh, type boxing type matches where Ives Zamora, um, releases a few punches in succession, gets hit a lot, uh, slow in, in her delivery, has flurries from time to time, uh, but very far in between, uh, often takes a lot of damage. And, uh, and Marlon Sparsa in my eyes had the little bit better refined boxing, better boxing skills, m- a little bit more, uh, more versed or, or better versed than the, as far as boxing is concerned, former Olympian. And, and she's been showing that every fight she's been improving. As of the last few fights, she tends to rush out of the bell, uh, just come out guns blazing and start hunting her opponents down. And, that's something that I've noticed in the last few fights. She definitely tried to do that with Senia Estrada, where it backfired. She did it with Sula Morbina, where it kind of paid off for her. And then in her last matchup as well earlier this year, she she tends to uh, answer the uh, the opening bell by just crossing the ring quickly and start attacking, just letting her hands fly, just gets the nerves out of the way and just gets get your hands dirty right away. So she ended up doing the same thing today. She ends up crossing the ring, just getting in the mix of things. And the output that she, that she starts these fights off, it's, it almost ends up backfiring, right? Why did it backfire against Enes Estrada? Because Estrada has boxing to back up her end. She didn't get intimidated. She was willing to meet force with force. And it was a bit of a car collision there for a while. And Enes Estrada started pulling it away by mitigating the output and and meeting the challenge by putting out heavy output with great combinations and catching Marlon Sparsa uh, more often than not. Marlon Sparsa comes out guns blazing once again against Ibez Zamora. Zamora, to me, her boxing is not bad, but her boxing is more of a slugfest style. And uh, and like I mentioned, she, she tends to leave her guard down a lot. She tends to get hit a lot. She's usually marked up quite a bit. Marlon Sparza tried to take over this fight and maybe she saw weaknesses in Ibez Zamora, but she didn't count for Ibez Zamora's experience to come into play. And Zamora ended up pacing herself. She wasn't used to the onslaught, but she ended up pacing herself. She gathered her, her, her composure early as she got hit real early in the, in the first round and ends up setting the pace. She ends up taking control of the pace uh, for the rest of that first round and ends up catching uh, Marlon Sparsa on a weak left jab and drops Marlon Sparsa in the first round. Uh, 
flash knockdown at that, but drops her, sends a message like, you're not going to be rushing into me. Not today. Not today. And Marlon Sparza got back. Credit to her because she got back. She got her head under her, her legs under her, and she ended up going back into the attack. Um, right off the bat on the second round, she does the same thing. She goes after Samora. She's hunting them down. Where it doesn't pay off for Merlin Sparza is the fact that she lacks a little bit of power behind her punches. So the that style of fight is not conducive for for her as she continues to face better opposition because the power is not there to back up the volume. So therefore, that volume would be like a Mike Tyson type hunting down that she's trying to to employ into the ring, but the power is not there. So she can't really hunt them down and just demolish the opponents like she's trying to. The power is not transitioning there. So it becomes a slugfest type fight. Ibez Zamora did that. She starts countering. She starts hitting the body of Marlon Sparza quite often. The fight ends up going the entire way. And at the end, Marlon Sparza walks away with the decision. But going towards the end of the fight, I had Marlon Sparza up. And the knockdown is what people couldn't forget. The knockdown happened early in the fight, so early in the fight, that people could possibly dismiss that. So you couldn't describe the fight was close. I had Marlon up by a round, but with that knockdown coming into play, it very well could have been a draw. Now, did Marlon Sparsa do enough to take this title? When the decision got announced, Marlon Sparsa got the nod. She is the new world champion and she took the strap from the long reigning champion Ibet Zamora. People booed. People were booing. You saw the expression on the Zamora side where they were in disbelief. They did not obviously agree with it. This was not a performance of a lifetime where it was it was inevitable that 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 Sparsa was going to get the decision. It was that close of a fight. And it was so close where the champion should have gotten uh, the chance to retain this title. Uh, I think there was one scorecard that really angered people. And if I remember correctly, I know it happened just a few hours ago, but if I remember correctly, the scorecard read something like 97-92. So it was like a five-round um, landslide for Sparsa. And, uh, and it... I mean, it definitely wasn't that. It definitely wasn't a landslide. Where could the judge, where I saw the judges getting swayed was the, the output of Sparsa. She tried. She was making the, the most noise. She was pressing the action constantly. She was going after Samora, where it turned Samora into more of a counterpuncher for the fight. And the few times in the last few rounds, the latter rounds, as Sparsa started, uh, gassing out a little bit, she started slowing down a little bit on her attack. Samora started hunting Sparsa down, walking towards her and landing, having success by landing good punches to the body and good combinations from the body upward to the head. Landed some strong left looping hooks and right hands that ended up shaking Sparsa a bit. So if it was that close of a fight, and it would have ended in a draw, which it was definitely looking that way towards uh, towards the last round. I think the champ should have retained her title. Nonetheless, I see I could I could kind of see the argument going both ways just because the fight was that close, and in this instance, leave it to the judges to basically spit on what was a good fight. 
because of that one judge that gives a landslide. I don't know what the hell they're watching, but leave it to the judges. This is not the first time you guys have made me men- or, or heard me mention this this year. Uh, and we're six months into this year, and we've already had a lot of bad decisions or a lot of individual judges that have made a lot of bad calls with these landslide scores. Uh, the one that obviously pops to mind is uh, with uh, Andy Ruiz and Chris Ariola. Leave it to the judges to get the booing out of the crowd and to just basically take away from the fighters from what the fighters were able to do in there. Um, it is what it is. Marlon Sparsa is the new WBC champ. And she got her hands around a major world title. So congratulations to her. She improves to 10 and 1. Uh, from there, we move on to the Coming event, which was... A knockout, drag out type fight. We knew it was going to be this. I thought it was going to be a blood fest. It wasn't, but it was definitely power versus power. And it ended up being timing and boxing that ended up playing the factor against the power puncher and the muscle. Beck Melikusiev uh, ended up fighting Gabe Rosado. Um, Melikusiev is the prospect. He's supposed to be Golden Boy's next Triple G. He's the demolisher. He's supposed to be destroying the opposition. Very young in his career still. And he faces a true veteran in Gabe Rosado. Now, as far as this, as far as this fight was going, it was really, uh, it was just like a knockout drag out type fight. We knew it was going to go that way. And, Melikuziev, Beck Melikuziev started setting the pace by way of his power. He started imposing his will by way of his power and he started walking Rosado back. Rosado, of course, resorted to his boxing, to his countering and his speed to get him out of trouble several times. Melikuziev ends up dropping Rosado down in the first round and Rosado just basically trying to weather the storm because Beck came on very, very strong. By the second round, they continued to exchange heavy punches. Rosado had some really good moments in that second round. Melikuziev, of course, the power was very significant to where even if Rosado was blocking the punches, he was still getting pushed back and he was still moving because of those punches, even though he was he was defending fairly well. By the third round, the power again, at one point, Beck Melikuziev hurts Rosado to the body, where Rosado ends up leaning towards the ropes. He starts guiding back, stepping back, trying to grab a breather, and he does. He ends up controlling the spacing. The spacing and the timing started shifting in the way of Rosado. He started reading how Melikuziev was attacking him, Melikuziev, very smothering style, uh, just in your face. And uh, and he was hunting Rosado down with success because he had the power. And Rosado had to time him. Um, it, was, it was a random, this random moment of excitement that happened in which Melikuziev continued to try to walk Rosado down. And Rosado caught him with a beautiful, beautiful punch to the chin right on the button where Beck Melikuziev drops face first in what was a freak of a knockdown uh, right away people not just the commentators but you start reading comments on social media and right away people are already gracing this as possibly the knockout of the year uh, at least a candidate for knockout of the year we're halfway through the year and it was a beautiful punch that Rosado caught him with 
so much power. It reminded me over of the MMA uh, fight between Anthony Pettis and Wonderboy, Stephen Wonderboy Thompson, where Wonderboy is the one, the bigger body, the taller body, walking down the smaller Pettis, and Pettis bounced off the fence, caught him with the Superman punch, and put uh, Wonderboy's lights out. This is exactly what that was. Beck Melikuziev keeps walking Rosado down. Rosado had that that little bit of spacing that he was able to to gather and gain and threw a beautiful punch right to the button and drops Melikuziev on his face, face down on the mat. Melikuziev tried to enter the call and topples over towards the right side of his body, unable to get up, unable to answer the call. The fight is stopped and Rosado comes away with an exciting, exciting uh, win. And what a stamp, what a bounce back from his last debacle of a fight that he had against Danny Jacobs late in 2020. This is a hell of a bounce back. And this is a traditional veteran versus up and comer. Rosado supposed to be that name on the resume like he has been in the past for many other fighters. He was supposed to be that name on the resume to add a little more legitimacy to Melikuziev. Now Rosado throws a wrench on the career of Melikuziev and um, back to the drawing board for Melikuziev's team. And now there's a weakness. Now there's a chin that got exposed. Um, Rosado the true veteran that he is, he's a fighter's, he's a, he's a fan's fighter. He's a must, he's must watch TV at all times. He entertains you in any fight that he gets involved in. And at the end of the fight, he ends up calling out Jaime Munguia, which is very, very curious, but he calls out Jaime Munguia again, last fight against Danny Jacobs. He was fighting at 168, a super middleweight. Now he comes back and makes his mark at 160 again. The man has been all over the place as far as divisions are concerned, and he will step in the ring against anybody, against anybody. Rosado is must-watch TV. I've said that before, and I'll stand by it. Um, impressive knockdown on Rosado's behalf. Impressive Knockdown and knockout. He gets dropped in the first round. Beck Melikuziev gets dropped in the third and doesn't answer the call. And Rosado gets that knockout victory. Amazing victory. Congratulations to Philadelphia. Congratulations to Puerto Rico as well because he's uh, he comes from Boricua roots. And uh, congratulations to the King Gabe Rosado. Then we get to the main event. And Jaime Munguia slated to fight. Masiej Suleki, who would have been the toughest opposition to date. Jaime Munguia walking into tonight as 36-0 with 29 knockouts. Masiej Suleki would have been, by hands down, the toughest opposition to date for Jaime Munguia. That fight fell through and the entire card got delayed to tonight. That card was supposed to have happened in late April. Masiej Suleki was out due to injury. They replaced Masiej Suleki with uh, up-and-coming prospect Demetrius Ballard. He ends up falling out of the fight because of injury, and the whole card ended up getting postponed to tonight or earlier today. Uh, Masiej Suleki got back in the running. He was supposed to be Munguia's opponent. And Masiej Suleki again pulls out at the beginning of the month for undisclosed reasons this time. No more visiting the idea, revisiting the idea of Demetrius Ballard or anybody else. The zone got involved and they end up bringing in Camille Sarameta and, um, in just over two weeks notice, uh, or maybe I should say in just less than three weeks notice for Camille Sarameta to step into the ring and face, face Jaime Munguia. Now, 
it was very obvious what was happening here. Why and why I was so attentive to this fight when the zone ended up pulling this off, uh, and Golden Boy, they end up putting this fight together with the opponent of Camille Zermeta. It's very obvious. Jaime Munguia has been calling out Canelo for several years now. When Jaime Munguia was going from 154, making his move to 160, he was willing to move up at that time when Canelo was campaigning at 160. Uh, he's been calling out for Triple G for since for the last three fights since he made it to 160, uh, and and. He hasn't gotten any of those opponents. Bubu Andre is out there and Jamal Charlo as well, who we're going to see later tonight, right? And we just talked a little bit about his fight uh, earlier. Now, Jaime Munguia has been calling out Triple G. Camille Sarameta was 20-0 when he faced Triple G last December, six months ago. And he suffered his first loss to at the hands of Triple G. It was a one-sided beatdown, a one-sided affair that Triple G put on uh, that night. And uh, and he stopped Camille Sarameta in seven rounds, where Sarameta failed to enter the bell in the eighth round. The same exact fighter stepped into the ring today. There was no improvement, no changed fighter, nothing. We got the same Camille Sarameta that we saw in December stepped into the ring today. Why was this so important? You could see it from the beginning, right? That the moment that this fighter got involved and Jaime Munguia has been calling for that big name fight, especially as he's called out Triple G, they put a, an opponent in common. The common denominator would be Camille Sarameta. Look at what this young prospect could do with this guy, with this opponent, and look at what Triple G was able to do to him. If Jaime Munguia would have gone all the way to a decision with this guy, you bet that he would have thrown an opportunity of a lifetime away because they're basically handing him Triple G by having put this opponent in there. If he would have gone to decision with Camille Sarameta, it's basically like, all right, maybe you will face... Demetrius Ballard on your next outing, or maybe they even try to make the Masir Suleki fight for a third time, or somebody else. If he stopped Camille Sarameta between the 8th and 12th rounds, which is where Triple G stopped him at the end of the 7th, or failed, who failed to answer the 8th, right, Sarameta, so I guess in 7 rounds, he stopped him in 7 rounds, so if it would have gone from anywhere between 7 rounds and the 12th round, and Munguia is able to stop Sarameta, the conversation would be attractive, where it's like, look at what Triple G did, and look at what this young prospect just did with the same common um, opponent, look at what they were able to do, this was the same guy that showed up, that stepped into the ring against Triple G, stepped in today against Jaime Munguia, Jaime Munguia, if he's able to stop this guy any sooner than seven rounds and seven rounds or less, then you bet that that would be a huge selling point for the zone by using this one guy, this opponent in Camille Sarameta as the common factor for the two fighters. And you could sell this fight, the aging, the aging Triple G who's in the latter end of his career against a young prospect who has... Questionable defense, limited defense at that right now. Subpar defense, I guess you could say, in Jaime Munguia. Now, let's look at this. Jaime Munguia ends up stopping Camille Sarameta in six rounds. Sarameta's corner uh, does not allow Camille Sarameta to answer the call to start the seventh. And he surrenders in the corner. Jaime Munguia stops him one round earlier than Triple G. The conversation is there. The kid is ready. Right away. Right away. The comments on social media came out to defend Jaime Munguia and the excuses and the justifications. He's not there yet. He's still this. He's still that. Maybe two, three more fights before he faces the big dogs. And I, 
How much more do you want a baby in Carl Jaime Munguia? He's been calling out the big names. They have a common denominator in, as far as an opponent's concerned between him and Triple G and Camille Sarameta. They faced the exact same opposition. This wasn't a faster moving Camille Sarameta or a better versed version than that that faced Triple G. They have a common opponent. What DAZN tried to put together here, they succeeded. They got what they wanted, and Jaime Munguia delivered. He stopped this guy in six rounds. Weak opposition, yes. But it definitely adds to the intrigue that you have an aging Golovkin with really good boxing, well-versed, well-rounded, versus a prospect who has been looking better and better each and every one of his last fights, definitely his last three fights since he's had Eric Morales, the legendary Eric Morales in his corner. And yes, he has flaws, but you're... There's always going to be detractors. There's always going to be people saying that he has flaws. And maybe if he fixes this, then he'll be ready for so-and-so. Maybe if he fixes that, then he'll be ready for that guy. Just think about that. It's it's a non-argument. Why is it a non-argument? As I'm watching this fight and as, as the fight ended, as the fight ended, I'm thinking to myself, what about Sergei Deverichenko? As it stands right now, Deverichenko has a 13 and 3 record. Think about that. 13 and 3. Jaime Munguia is now 37 and 0. The last three losses, the last three fights that Deverichenko has, or four fights, three of those four fights were losses to Danny Jacobs, to Triple G, and to Jermall Charlo. Two of those three fights were Highly questionable as far as the results came out. When he lost that decision to Triple G, people felt that Triple G got a gift. When he lost that decision to Danny Jacobs, people argued that it could have gone either way. He was that good, and it's because of his amateur record that he was able to land those fights early in his career. He's 13-3. and Jaime Munguia is 37-0. How many more weak opposition do you want to put him or subpar opposition level C level rated or B level fighters do you want to put them in the kid is asking to be the top echelon he wants to challenge himself let him he has the record to back it up 37 and 0 with 30 knockouts now as he stops Sarameta and at the end of the co-main event Gabe Rosado challenges Jaime Munguia he wants to step in there with Jaime Munguia and lo and behold Jaime Munguia is like if I cannot get a title shot he became the number one challenger for the WBO and the WBC, which is Charlo's title. And he became the mandatory for for the WBO, which is Andrade's. He's been asking for Triple G. This is what they try to set up with this opponent. And it, this wasn't a diminished version of Sarameta that stepped in the ring. It was the exact same version that we saw in December just six months ago. So it was a good test and it was a good setup, a good line, a, a, a good measuring stick, I guess, for to see what Munguia could possibly do against Triple G. Now the the detractors or the people that are that are coming to save Munguia's life and saying he needs two or two more fights, three more fights, he's not ready for Triple G. You're probably right. You're probably right. He's probably not ready, but he does keep improving, especially in the last three fights since he's had Eric Morales by his side. He keeps improving. His head movement was on point today. Um, even though he still got hit a little bit too much to my liking. Um, and, and everybody saw that he got hit. He got, he got touched a lot. And that's by a slow delivering, uh, Sarameta. He did get hit. Mungia still gets hit. 
quite a bit. So he still has to work on the defense, but very good, very good body punching, very good attack to the body, very good successions, uh, his punch succession, very good punch selection. And he had good combinations to back up those uppercuts that he was landing. That was a huge improvement from what he looked like last time, last time out. So he's improving. And in one fight, he, that's, that's what would make this fight intriguing that the subpar defense that he has and the fact that he leaves his face so open would be the intriguing part if Triple G still has the power to put this guy out. The power is the last thing to leave a fighter. We know that. And Triple G is still levels ahead of Jaime Munguia. I get that. But the opposition makes for great fights. And Jaime Munguia in there with better opposition. I have no doubts that he will answer the call and come up, raise his level of boxing for that day. He handles a hell of a punch. He has a hell of a chin. And we would possibly see a performance like that of Devrachenko against Jacobs, like that of Jacobs against Triple G, Devrachenko against Triple G, Devrachenko against... Am I putting Munguia and Devrachenko on the same level? No. Just by the level of amateur uh, amateur record at, that Devrachenko has, the amateur experience that he had. But in the professional ranks, look at Devrachenko's record, 13-3 versus Jaime Munguia, 37-0. How much more do you want to protect Jaime Munguia? How much more do you want to baby him? 37-0. and 0. Yes, he's young, but how many more fights do you think he's going to end up with? 60 wins? 50 wins? He's 37-0 and 0 at the moment. And... Triple G, Triple G right now sits at 41, 1 and 1 with the loss to Canelo, decision to loss to Canelo and the draw with Canelo. 41 wins, 36 knockouts. Munguia, 37 wins with 30 knockouts. He's right there. What's the difference? Because Golovkin has faced Really good opposition in his resume, uh, really good opponents, really good fighters. And he's also faced subpar opposition like Steve Rolls, like Camille Sarameta. I mean, Vance Matarosian. Think about that. So he hasn't faced the best of the best, but he, he has faced some of the great opposition that's available out there, and he's faced subpar opposition as well. And that's been recent in between those big name draw fights. Jaime Munguia has been consistently getting better and better and better. How much more do you want to baby him? If he's asking for the, for those opponents, get him in there. This was a good performance by him, good solid performance, and any good boxer will tell you that they got to keep improving each time out. There's always something to do. Canelo keeps improving. Crawford keeps improving. Spence keeps improving. Pacquiao, just within a fight or two away from from retiring, he keeps improving. Nonito Donaire, look at what he just did. They keep working at their craft. They keep improving these mistakes. And he has a legend by his side in Munguia in which he's going to be able to get these errors fixed and tightened up, especially if it's such a big high-profile fight that he'll be able to pick up, whether it's Andre or Triple G especially. You bet Eric Morales is going to be on top on top of his game, getting Munguia to fix those problems. So it's not going to happen overnight, but Munguia keeps looking better, and I say get him in there. He keeps asking for these big names. Give it to him. Now, what happened in the post-fight interview? He ends up calling out Gabe Rosado. He's like, if I cannot get a title shot for my next outing, I would like to have a title shot 
fight to to close out this year and I'd be willing to fight Gabe Rosado. He called out Gabe Rosado. Gabe Rosado called him out at the end of his win over Melikuziev. That would be a great, great fight, a great step up in the level of Masiech Suleki. Gabe Rosado would be that level. Masiech Suleki beat Gabe Rosado, but that would be that type of fight, that type of level that Jaime Munguia, that people are asking for Jaime Munguia. That would be a perfect fight. Gabe Rosado, to me, is on the same level as the Danny Jacobs, the Devrachenkos, the Sulekis, the Andrades. He's at the same level as them. He never faced Jermall Charlo, but he faced his twin brother, Jermell. And Gabe Rosado has seen it all. He's been in there with the greats. He's been in there with Triple G. He's been in there with Jacobs now. He's been in there with them. He's, to me, a better, ver- a better version than and a better challenge for Jaime Munguia at this stage than Masir Suleki would have been, even though Suleki was a solid, solid opponent. Gabe Rosado, to me, has seen it all, has done it all in the sport of boxing, and he's still there. He's that number one gatekeeper in my eyes. So if he's, if people keep saying that Jaime Munguia is not ready for a triple G, then Gabe Rosado it is. And what an intriguing fight that would be. What an intriguing fight that would be. And maybe he'll get Triple G in December if he's able to lock this up with Gabriel Zotto by September, let's say, in a few months' time. That would be really, really appealing and really intriguing. So we got the first set of fights out of the way. Let's enjoy the rest of the fights, guys. I'll leave you with that. I think the card for the Charlos, uh, the Charlo Montiel fight is about to kick off here. And then a little bit after, we're going to see the, uh, the Inoue and uh, Das Marinas card with Michaela Meyer uh, against Farias in the supporting in the supporting uh, uh, fight uh, for for the Inoue card and the top rank card. So we still have some fights left. I'm glad that I was able to get this one out early and uh, enjoy the rest of the evening. Enjoy the rest of the fight. And I'll catch you guys on the recap for those two fights here. If not tonight, then tomorrow, Sunday, uh, as we sit here, uh, Mountain Standard Time. So I, I will hit you guys up on the recap episode for those two events. And if I'm able to catch the, uh, the Chavez exhibitions, then, then I will. Then I definitely will. I'll, I'll cover that one as well. Enjoy the rest of the fights, guys. I'll see you on the recap episode for the other few fights. Enjoy the fights, guys. It's still mid-Saturday here where I'm at. If it's a little bit later where you're at, enjoy the rest of the night. Grab a good drink. I got a good cold Modelo beer uh, accompanying me here and, uh, and and a few more inside that are chilling. I'm about to go pop a couple more open, enjoy the rest of the night, and um, and I'll catch you guys uh, on the recap episode. Thank you guys again for tuning in to, to the Toma Todito show and uh, and for all the love and support that you've been giving me this past year. Thank you guys. Love you guys. Have a good night.